Well, good morning. Today we complete our four-part series in 2 Peter. So far we learned that faith is granted and that we're called to supply our faith with seven key virtues. We are also to be diligent to make certain of God's calling and choosing of us in the faith. My aim today will be to stir your faith. I want to wake you up so you're not allowed to fall asleep during this sermon. We need to be accountable to one another in the truth, especially in a time when false teaching is increasing. And so we're going to stand for the reading of God's word. If you have your Bibles, go to 2 Peter. Please stand. 2 Peter chapter 1. We're going to read verses 12 to 15. If you have it, say amen. Amen. Let's read. Therefore... I will always be ready to remind you of these things, even though you already know them and have been established in the truth which is present with you. I consider it right as long as I am in this earthly dwelling to stir you up by way of reminder, knowing that the laying aside of my earthly dwelling is imminent, as also our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. And I will also be diligent that at any time after my departure, you will be able to call these things to mind. That is God's word. You may be seated. Let's go before the Lord in prayer. Oh Lord, we thank you for this text in 2 Peter. We do ask that you will stir us up as we hear from you today in your word. Oh Lord, convict our hearts. Help us to be attentive. Lord, we pray for clarity of speech. Uh, Help me, Lord, to deliver your texts. And we thank you for everyone who is able to make it today. And we pray for those who aren't here. Uh, We would love to see the church grow and and us gather more. Oh, Lord, so bless this time, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Peter is one of my favorite brothers, right? One of the 12. Uh, He was a leader. He always had something to say, right? But like us, he needed many reminders of God's power and direction. Let me briefly share one time Jesus had to wake up Peter spiritually. After the resurrection, this is the third time Jesus appears to his disciples. Jesus displayed that he is still in control of creation. If you remember, when he tells the disciples to cast the net on the right-hand side of the boat when they couldn't catch any fish, right? Fishermen, experienced fishermen, not able to catch any fish. Does that sound familiar? Well, if you remember, Jesus reminded the disciples of the first time they actually became his disciples, right? If you remember, he, he said the same thing. Uh, to cast out the net and you will get a great catch. And, and there the fishermen were like, we were catching, we were trying all day to catch fish and we couldn't, but at your word, we'll do it. And what was Peter's response after a great catch, right? He sees the large quantity of fish and he falls down at the feet of Jesus. And what does he say? Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. Oh, Lord. And so we see that the disciples, they were amazed. And Jesus told them, do not fear. From now on, you will be fishers of men. And so that's what they end up doing. 
they bring their boats to the land, and they leave everything behind, and they start to follow Jesus. And so Jesus reminded Peter of the first time he followed him. And so, beloved, do you remember the first time you started to follow Jesus? You said, you know what, I am all in. No turning back, right? You get baptized. But then what happens? Church becomes routine. Time is going by. And you're just starting to fall asleep. What do we need? What does Peter need at this time? Accountability. We need to wake up spiritually. And so after the resurrection and this third time Jesus appears to the disciples, there's another miracle that involves fish. And so Peter sees this great number of fish, right? 153 if you want to be specific. And, and what does he do? He knows that it's the Lord because John, the beloved, tells him it's the Lord. And he puts on his outer garment. He jumps into the sea. You could just see he's excited to see Jesus yet again. And so Jesus tells him, bring some of the fish and, and let's have some breakfast, right? And so they have breakfast. And guess what it's time for? It's time for some accountability, Peter. And so we know the famous discussion. Jesus asks Peter if he loves him more than these, right? And Peter says, yes, and, and you know that I love you. And, and Jesus tells him, then tend my lambs, right? Tend my lambs. But Jesus is not done. He asks him a second time. He says, do you love me, Simon Peter? And Peter says, yes, you know all things. And then Jesus tends, tells him to tend his sheep, right? Shepherd my sheep. And then for the third time, Jesus asks him, do you love me, Simon Peter? A third time. That sounds very familiar, right? Why three times, Jesus? Well, before the crucifixion and resurrection, we remember Peter denies Jesus three times. If you remember, Peter said, I will never deny you. Maybe all the disciples will deny you, but I won't. But he does. And so Peter was grieved this time when Jesus asked him if he loved him. And Peter told Jesus, you know all things, you know that I love you. And so Jesus responds yet again, tend my sheep. And so what is Jesus doing here? He's keeping Peter accountable. He is calling him to shepherd his sheep. And, and there's a very important point to make out of this dialogue. Jesus is reminding Peter of his past to challenge him. But he's also commanding him to do his will in the present. And later we're going to discuss Peter's future. But for now, I want you to keep in mind that Jesus has a purpose with Peter and Peter has a calling to fulfill. And so the question is, will he? Will he do as Jesus commands? In similar fashion, we can ask ourselves that question. Will we follow Jesus? Will we stay awake and do as he has said in his word? And so it's time for some accountability. It's time for our faith to be stirred. And so the key principles I want us to think about today, there are two, readiness and remembrance. So let's look at verse 12 again. Let's read verse 12 again. And we're going to consider how we are to be ready or prepared in the faith. Verse 12 reads, Therefore, I will always be ready to remind you of these things, even though you already know them and have been established in the truth which is present with you. And so Peter begins with a key word for us, therefore. 
He is calling us to think about the previous verses. So we know that faith is granted and we have everything we need to grow in godliness. We know that we are called to supply faith with those seven key virtues. And we are to be diligent to make faith certain. So now what? Given these truths, Peter is going to always be ready. Ready for what? Ready to remind you of these truths. Peter is not just writing uh, these truths so we can simply forget them. No, he wants these truths to sink in. So you can think of it this way. Like any good pastor, he will be ready. Right? He is going to preach a text, but he's not going to just say, all right, you heard the message? I'm going to go home and now I'm going to watch some Netflix. All right? You got it. No, he is going to ask after the sermon how it has impacted you spiritually. He's going to say, have you been supplying your faith with these seven key virtues? Yes, I just told you to supply faith with those seven key virtues, but now I'm going to go to you personally and ask you, are you supplying faith with these seven key virtues? He's going to ask the other disciples, how are they doing? How are you doing with supplying love, brotherly kindness, godliness, self-control, perseverance, knowledge, and moral excellence? Are they being diligent? And we know he told them to make faith certain. So he's going to go to each person and say, hey, are you sure of your faith? Are you a true born-again Christian? And he stated that the only way to enter into God's kingdom, right, is by God's grace. And that grace should be reflecting that you have a lifestyle of godliness or holiness. You have been truly changed. And so he's going to say, have you been godly? Has there been a true transformation in your life? Do you really know him? This is a serious matter. And he knows that they know these truths. He's, they've heard it before, right? But that doesn't faze Peter because he's aware that there's such thing as a false, blind convert, right? person that isn't a fruit-bearing Christian. And so he doesn't neglect the flock or ignore them. He is prepared to retell the same truths over and over again. Because Christians, we need to be reminded frequently. And so before we get to that point of remembrance, let me just observe here readiness, right? How is Peter ready? Um, as believers, we are called to be prepared, right? We see this throughout Scripture. We see in Acts 21, verse 13, Paul was ready not only to be bound, but even to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. We see this in 1 Timothy six eighteen. Paul is calling uh, the rich believers to be ready to share with one another. And then in 2 Timothy 4, 2, a very famous passage, Paul is calling Timothy to preach the word and to be ready in season and out of season, right? To reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. And in Titus, Paul is telling others to be ready for good deeds. And then you can go there with me in 1 Peter 1 Peter 1.13, very crucial for us to consider here of Peter's readiness. Look what he says. Verse 13, Therefore, prepare your minds for action and keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely in the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. We need to be prepared. And then in 1 Peter 3.15, another famous passage, he says, But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. And here it is always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you. 
All right, so many passages of Scripture are teaching us to be ready. If you want another one, in Revelation 19, what do we observe? The bride of Christ. She has made herself ready. And if you keep going there, it, it talks about how she was granted, right, for herself to be with these fine linen, and that's reflecting the righteous deeds of the saints. Lastly, in Matthew 25, we read about the parable of ten virgins. Five of them were foolish, five of them were wise. Only the wise ones were ready for the arrival of the bridegroom. And so, beloved, we need to be ready. Readiness, or being alert, is a key characteristic of all Christians. Beloved, we need to be ready to also remind others of the truth. And so we're going to need each other to wake one another up when we're sleeping spiritually. Um, We see here that uh, in the Garden of Gethsemane, we get an example of Jesus. What does he actually do? He literally is waking uh, the disciples up three times in the garden there. Um, And so even though I'm not talking about literal sleeping, I think you get the idea. Sometimes we can be sleeping spiritually. We can be spiritually lazy. I'm talking about long naps of sin. You know, when you had a long day of work and you just got to take a nap? Okay, now think about that in your spiritual walk. You've been coming to church for 20, 30 years, whatever it is, and now you're starting to doze off spiritually. You've heard the message. You've heard the gospel. You've heard it before, and you're just saying, all right, I know, I know. No, we need to be stirred up about it. And I know it's, it's not easy because we, we hear it all the time. We come to church every week and we hear a sermon preach. We hear about the same Jesus. But guess what, beloved? That is the same Jesus that transformed you the first time. And we need to hear from him every week. And so we need our brothers and sisters in Christ to remind us of the truth. We need them to sometimes throw some water on us, right? To wake us up to rebuke us even, to remind us of the word of God. We know that God designed the body of Christ in this way, that we would support one another. That is one reason we gather, beloved, to edify one another. 1 Corinthians 12, 26 says, if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. And so we know that the body of Christ is not going to be flawless, right? There's no such thing as a perfect church. That's why Christ calls us to forgive one another, right? There are going to be times when we get on each other's toes and we need to forgive one another. But this is the beautiful picture of the church, right? We don't come to church to act perfect. We come to church because we know we're not perfect, right? We need help. We need Christ to work in our lives. And one way Christ helps us is by the church, The church has this beautiful cycle of restoration, confession, right? We are able to grow as believers as we gather. And so that is if the church is ready. If the church is ready to participate in this wonderful process. And so let's continue to our next verse. And we're going to discuss uh, the importance of remembrance. Look at 2 Peter verse 13. I consider it right, as long as I'm in this earthly dwelling, to stir you up by way of reminder. And so Peter again uses this word, remind, right? It means to recall or to bring to mind. He wants to get your attention, right? He feels obligated to stir uh, the Christians up in the faith for as long as he is alive. And he uses this word here, uh, tent or dwelling. 
And so this should remind us of the temporary state of our bodies, right? We live in this weak body and it's decaying. This body cannot last for much longer. What's the most we can get out of it? Maybe 100 years? So what is Peter's resolve given this truth? Given this truth that this tent is decaying, he knows he's on his way out. He is going to stir them up, right? The same word stir, we can find that in 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 to 2. Look at there. Just flip a page here. 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 to 2 here. Look at what he writes. This is now, beloved, the second letter I am writing to you, which I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the words spoken beforehand by the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior spoken by your apostles. And so what is Peter going to stir them up with? What is he going to stir them up with? The word. That is what we need. We need the word, the Old and New Testaments. We need the Holy Scriptures. Every word of it, not just the ones you see highlighted in red. Right? We need the whole Bible. And so, I know if you've heard it before, I've heard it before many times, read your Bible. Well, guess what? We need to be reminded yet again. Read your Bible. Is your Bible collecting dust? Is it that you are scrolling on your phones and texting your friends more than reading the Bible? Do you even look forward to reading your Bible? What is going, what is going on right now in your Bible reading? Is it you just read it, check off the box that you read your Bible today, and don't even remember what you read? Or is it impacting your day-to-day walk? I like to think of it this way. Read before you feed. We should have more hunger for the word in the morning than we do for our own breakfast. In other words, put your Bible before your belly. Let your faith be stirred if you haven't been reading your Bible today, beloved. May you make it your goal today to start reading your Bible daily. Maybe even try a Bible reading plan, right? Those are good. You read the Bible in a year. And so what does Peter continue to do here in verse 14? He's going to discuss how life is short. Look at verse 14 of 2 Peter chapter 1. Knowing that the laying aside of my earthly dwelling is eminent, as also our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. And so Peter knows that his last day is eminent, right? His tent will soon be removed. We all know this truth. Ten out of ten people die. One day you will meet your maker. But Peter doesn't seem to be worried about this, right? We don't see him saying, oh man, I'm about to die, oh no. No, he's ready. Why? Christ has prepared him for such a time like this. Remember I mentioned we're going to discuss the future of Peter. In, in John 21, we see there, um, after that discussion, right, three times, uh, do you love me, do you love me, do you love me? You know I do, you know I do, you know I do. What does he say after this? He gives Peter a little preview to his future. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, when you were younger, you used to grid yourself and walk wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will grid you and bring you where you do not wish to go. Right? John tells us that. Uh, he said this signifying what kind of death he would glorify God. And so Peter, now that he's older, 
he, he understands he's going to die a difficult death, right? Persecution is on the rise. Peter can just smell death being closer and closer. But that doesn't stop him from reminding others of the truth. He is focused on his mission. Some uh, commentators, they speculate about this verse. They say maybe it is that Christ communicated this truth about Peter's near death in a vision. But regardless, one thing is for certain. Peter had a close relationship with Jesus, right? He was a man of prayer, and he trusted Jesus with his future. If Christ said it, it would happen. And even though it might be a difficult trial, Peter is willing to follow God no matter what. And we don't know exactly how Peter dies. I mean, there's church tradition that says Peter um, was crucified upside down in Rome, right, during the time of Nero and the persecution there. But regardless, uh, he followed God no matter what, even to death. And so a good question to ask ourselves, thinking about Peter's close relationship with God, is have we been praying? Remember, I said it's time for some accountability. Have you been praying? Are you trusting God in the trials? I know, I know we've heard it before, but pray, keep praying, and don't stop praying. So if persecution's on the rise, and if it happens here in America, may we continue to proclaim the gospel no matter what. May we be unashamed of the truth. May we be bold for Jesus. And the only way we can be bold for Jesus is if we're beholding him in prayer. And so let's go to our last verse here. We observe again the word diligent in verse 15. As we think about this major point of remembrance, I want you to reflect on the importance of our effort or diligence. Look at verse 15 again. And I will also be diligent that at any time after my departure, you will be able to call these things to mind. And so far, we know Peter has called them to be diligent in supplying those seven key virtues in the faith and to be diligent to make faith certain. But now he isn't calling them to be diligent. He is sharing that he is diligent, right? We see that Peter is not a hypocrite. He leads by example. And so given the fact that his time is short, he will give it his all to the very end. I like the quote. It's, uh, it's not how you start, it's how you finish, right? Let's be honest. We all know Peter had a tough start. Uh, but what ends up happening, he finishes by glorifying God, even in his death, right? He follows Jesus even if it means that crucifixion was to come. He does not finish his race half-heartedly. He will make sure that even after his death, that the sheep will remember his words. Now, before I explain how Peter would know this, um, I want us to elaborate, uh, elaborate a little bit on the word exodus or departure. So this word for departure was used in the transfiguration when Jesus spoke to Moses and Elijah. Um, you can go there to Matthew 17 if you want to see it here. Um, you remember here in Matthew 17, Peter is talking to Jesus, right? He says, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Not realizing what he was saying. I like, I like that commentary there. He wasn't knowing what he was saying there. And after he said this, a cloud forms, and it began to overshadow them, and they were afraid, and they entered the cloud, and then a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. 
And when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone, right? No Moses or Elijah. It was Christ alone, picturing it was all leading to Christ. But before this, Moses and Elijah were speaking about this exodus or departure of Christ, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. And so you see, beloved, the cross was not a defeat. It was a victory. Christ had to die for us to be redeemed. He had a greater exodus than the one Moses was a part of with the people of Israel when they exited out of Egypt. The exodus of Christ brought forgiveness of sin to the Jew and the Gentile. They would no longer be bound by sin, right? So the picture of slavery in the, in, during the time of Egypt and Exodus, we can see that as a picture of Christ and, and he is going to lead his people out of a slavery of sin and now they can enter the true promised land. All right, you can go back to 2 Peter. So Peter's exodus or departure will be one that shares in the sufferings of Christ. It is an honor to die for Jesus. He will leave this legacy behind and his words will not be forgotten like verse 15 tells us. And so how does Peter expect to do this? I mean, how, how do you know about this, Peter? You sound so certain about this. Well, he may be referring to the Gospel of Mark uh, since reliable tradition has it that Mark wrote down Peter's preaching. Or it may be that Peter uh, may be thinking of an additional teaching he is hoping to give them either through his personal presence or through another letter. But I think it's best to think of it in view of 2 Peter itself. By recording his exhortations and warnings in written form, Peter hopes that what he has said will have an enduring ministry in the lives of these Christians. And so we're thinking about Peter, but what about us? Are you living a life that others will remember and say, now that person, she, he lived for Jesus. I'm not saying you have to be the next Spurgeon or Wesley. Be yourself, but be someone who reflects the beauty of Christ. I mean, don't you want to leave behind a testimony that brings glory to God? Now, the interesting part of verse 15 is that we will remember what Peter said, right? Here we are 2,000 years later remembering his words. And we're calling to mind these seven virtues that must be supplied. We are calling to mind that faith is granted and that we have all we need to live a life of godliness. We are calling to mind that faith can be certain by Savior proclamation and self-examination. And so we even follow this truth because of these warnings that Peter gives us about false teaching. So Peter left behind a legacy, right? He left behind a work that was not in vain. Jesus told him to follow him, and he did. And so Peter, we know that he had a rough start, right? He, if you read in John 21, he was wondering, how is it that John's going to die? All right, you told me how I'm going to die. How is it that John's going to die? We know Jesus told him, get behind me, Satan, because he was thinking about the things of man and not the will of God. Uh, we also read how um, he cut off someone's ear, right, at the Garden of Gethsemane. Uh, and, and Jesus told them, he who lives by a sword shall die by the sword. And so he had a rough start, but at the end of his life, he knew what mattered most. Listen to the ending of Second Peter, verses uh, 14. I'll read a couple here in chapter 3. He writes, Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, talking about the new heavens and new earth, be diligent, there's that word again, to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless, 
and regard the patience of our Lord as salvation, right? What is Peter thinking about at the end of his life? He's thinking about living a holy life to God. And then verse 17, if you jump up a little bit, it continues to be on your guard so that you are not carried away by the error of unprincipled men and fall from your own steadfastness, right? He's given us a warning of false teaching. He wants you to remain in the truth. But what you are to do? Flee from the false teaching and what? Grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. And so Peter was a man that was ready and a man that reminded others of the truth. He had assurance and he kept others accountable. And so I want to examine in closing here two checklists. I know last week we had some checklists that were about self-examination. This week I want us to tackle assurance and accountability. The reason for the assurance checklist is because in our text, Peter wants his audience to remember these truths. So we're going to remember last week about making faith certain. Uh, And then the other reason for the accountability checklist is because in our text, that's really what Peter's doing, right? He's stirring them up. He wants them to be accountable in the faith. And so let's look at the first checklist. If you have your Bibles, turn to 1 John, 1 John checklist. This one's about assurance. Now, I've seen many people use this method, right? We have Susan Heck and uh, Todd Friel. Susan Heck, she was raised in a, pastoral's, uh, a pastor's home, and she got baptized three times, one at five, one at 10, and one at 15. And then finally, the fourth time, she definitely was certain about her faith. She got baptized again at age 29. Um, and then you have Todd Friel, who was going to seminary, right? He was reading these truths, these doctrines, And he was not saved until after seminary. And so they were people that would admit, I was a false blind convert. I was not a fruit-bearing Christian. And so what they refer to as a really big help in their assurance of salvation is 1 John. So I'm going to give you, it might sound like a lot, but we'll be brief, 20 tests. All right? We're going to go through 1 John, and we're going to observe what a true believer looks like. Let's consider the assurance checklist. Here we go. 20 tests. If you have your Bibles, 1 John. The first test. The test of having partnership or fellowship with Christ and the Father. Look at 1 John 1.3. What we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also, so that you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. So ask yourself, do you have fellowship with God? Test number two, the test of joy. Look at verse four there. These, these things we write so that our joy may be made complete. Are you joyful? Consider it all joy when you meet trials of various kinds. You have the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience. Do you have joy? True believers have joy. Number three, the test of confessing our sins. Look at verse nine. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. When was the last time you confessed your sins? A true believer mourns for their sin. They understand uh, that is something God does not delight in. And so we mourn about it and we cry out to God in forgiveness. Number four, the test of broken pattern of sinning. Look at 1 John 2, verse 1. My little children, I am writing these things to you that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And so, have you seen a change in a pattern of your lifestyle? Have you been 
breaking that pattern of sin? Are you practicing any sin today? Number five, the test of obedience. Look at 1 John 2, 3 to 5. By this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. And the one who says, I have come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, the love of God has truly been perfected. By this we know that we are in him. Again, are you obeying God's commandments? Number six, the test of walking as Christ walked. Look at chapter two, verse six. The one who says he abides in him ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. Are you walking like Jesus, right? Are you a Christian, a little Christ? Are you reflecting the beauty of Christ? Number seven, the test of loving loving the brethren. Look at John 2, verses 9 to 11. The one who says he is in the light and yet hates his brother is in the darkness until now. The one who loves his brother abides in the light and there is no cause for stumbling in him. But the one who hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Do you love all your brothers and sisters in Christ? Number eight, the test of overcoming the wicked one. Verse 13 I am writing this to you, fathers, because you know him who has been from the beginning. I am writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. Do you overcome? Do you resist the devil? Does Satan have any rule in your heart today? Number nine, the test of not loving the world. We see in 1 John 2.15, do not love the world nor things in the world. Are there any forms of worldliness in your life? Number 10, the test of persevering to the end. 1 John 2, 19, uh, we read about there how there are some that were not of us, right? Because they were not a part of us to begin with. Is your life zealous for the Lord today as it was last year? Have you been seeing an increase of growth? I'm not saying it's going to be perfectly up, you know, it's going to be up and down, but have you been seeing a life of zealousness for the Lord? Number 11, the test of the indwelling Holy Spirit in verse 20 there. We could ask ourselves, do you see the sense of the Spirit's leading, convicting, and empowering in your life? Number 12, the test of belief, 1 John 2, 23. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father, and the one who confesses the Son has the Father also. Do you believe in the true Christ? Right? Do you believe in the Messiah? Number 13, the test of abiding in Him. In John chapter 2, verse 27, we can ask ourselves, are you abiding or remaining in the Father? We think about uh, the vine and the branches, right? You need to abide in Christ. Number 14, the test of holy living. We see in verse 29, if you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who will practice righteousness is born of him. We remember last week about practicing, right? It's simply doing, a continual doing. Are you continually living a lifestyle of holiness? Are you striving to be perfect as he is perfect? Number 15, the test of hatred from the world in 1 John three thirteen. Do not be surprised, brethren, if the world hates you. When is the last time you received some persecution from the world for your stand for Christ? Number 16, the test of answered prayer, 1 John 3, 22. When is the last time God answered your prayer? Number 17, the test of overcoming false teachers, 1 John 4, verse 4. Do you discern a false teacher? Do you know what false teaching looks like? 
Number 18, the test of no fear and judgment. Look at 1 John 4, verses 17 to 18. By this, love is perfected with us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment because as he is, so also are we in the world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves punishment and the one who fears is not perfected in love. Are you fearful of the return of Christ and the judgment to come? You shouldn't be. You should be excited for the return of Christ because you love him. Number 19, the test of loving God in 1 John four nineteen. We love because he first loved us. Do you love God? Do you show it with your actions and your love for others? And lastly, number 20, the test of keeping yourselves from idols. Look at uh, the ending here of 1 John 5. Little children, guard yourselves from idols. Do you have any idols in your life? And so how did you do? Not an easy checklist, but by God's grace, all true Christians pass the test let me give you some more assurance questions here um, that aren't from 1 John. Just some simple ones here. First one, do you believe that God, what he has said in his word, do you believe it? Do you believe what he said in his word? Number two, do you believe his word is helpful to you even today? I like this one. Are you bold about the gospel? We know uh, if you're ashamed of Christ, he will be ashamed of you at his return. Are you aware of the shortness of your life? And are you ready for what's next? Many times we think about the temporary, we think about life on earth, but we don't think about things from above. Are you ready for your departure, your exodus, right? Peter's exodus, uh, he was ready for it. Are you ready for yours? Are you using the time wisely? Do you trust God when you're presented with trials or challenges? Are you confident or certain that Christ is coming soon and you can't wait to see him? All right, those are a lot of questions. But we're not done. Assurance is important, but so is accountability. Time for some accountability. So here are the next checklist, the accountability checklist. Seven main questions or Bible verses, seven main Bible verses to consider here. Um, the first one. So ask yourself this, and, and you know, I'm trying to get this out of the text here. Uh, the first one is, how's your prayer life? How's your alone time with God? 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says, pray without ceasing. Right? You should be someone who is constantly praying. If you're going to be accountable in your faith, you're going to be someone who is a prayer warrior, someone who prays. Second one here, how's your time in God's word? Are you listening from God? Right? We see that in 2 Timothy 2.15, uh, to be a steward, uh, to be a student of God's word, rightly handling the word of truth, right? to be unashamed of that. We need to be people of the book, people that actually read and study and devour this word. Number three, how's your witness? How do you interact with people at work or school? Do you have this pure thought life, and are you gracious in your speech? Are you caring for others, loving them like God has called you to do? Do you share the gospel with those that are not saved, right? James 1.27 talks about how we are to be um, Caring for the orphans and widows in their distress, right? That's true religion, uh, someone that cares for others. And part of that is sharing the gospel with them. Fifth one, how's your gathering, right? Do you fellowship with your brothers and sisters in Christ? Do you keep them accountable? Have you been going to a local church on the regular, right? We see that in Hebrews 11 or 10, 25, um, how we should not be in the habit of some that have disregarded the importance of assembling with one another or Galatians 6.1, we need each other, right? We need that spiritual brother to help 
the brother who is weak or in need, uh, to cast their burdens, uh, to basically help them out um, in any distress. And number six, for husbands and wives, fathers and mothers, how's your time with your spouse? How's your time with your children? Are you raising them up in the Lord? Have you been intentional in giving them the gospel? For children, have you been honoring your father and mother? Have you supported them to the best of your ability? We could see that in Ephesians 6, 1. And then lastly, how's your spiritual diet? What have you been intaking? Is it mainly sports or the news, movies? Is it nonstop social media? Or have you been reading good Christian books? You listen to some biblical sermons, maybe some podcasts. You, you worship, you sing, on, you sing to the Lord on the regular, maybe on your car drive or, or to, on the train. We see in 1 Corinthians 15, 33, uh, bad company corrupts good morals. And so we need to surround ourselves uh, with good things, to dwell on those good things. And in all these questions of accountability, I gave you seven, we can ask them each week, how are we doing? Maybe you write that in a journal or a notebook. On the weekly basis, we could plan, all right, and ask ourselves these seven questions. How am I doing spiritually? We need to keep ourselves accountable, but not just ourselves. We need to keep our brothers and sisters in Christ accountable as well. In conclusion, we learn that believers are called to be ready in the truth and to remember the truth. We are to be diligent in our time with God's word and people. We are reminded to be assured in the faith, right? We were also reminded to be accountable with one another. And so I go back to Peter. Peter needed a spiritual wake-up call. We all do from time to time. So remember the first time you place your faith in Christ. Remember when you confess your sins to Jesus for the first time. You cried to the Lord and you said, Save me for I am a sinful human. May that memory bring you great joy. And may you live in that reality today, that you are saved, forgiven. And whatever it is you're going through, remember the cross. Remember what Christ had to do for you. May we always remember the gospel. May we stir our faith with it daily and stir others by retelling the story, the greatest story ever ever told, the story that saved Peter, that saved people like Peter and you. And so we end with this, uh, a hymn that we all know that we sing frequently. We can sing this, blessed assurance, Jesus is mine, oh what a foretaste of glory divine, hair of salvation, purchase of God, born of his spirit, washed in his blood.